Welcome to the Connect Extension podcast brought to you by the eExtension Foundation. eExtension is a membership-based nonprofit designed to be the engine fueling U.S. Cooperative Extension's advancement and making a more visible and measurable impact in support of education outreach from land-grant universities and colleges located in every state and territory. E-Extension is embedded in the U.S. Cooperative Extension System and serves on the Extension Committee on Organization and Policy. It provides an array of opportunities for extension professionals that foster innovation creation, the adoption of innovations at member institutions, and increased impact of extension programs. This work is supported by membership dollars and funding from USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture, grant number 2019 41595 30124. I'm Aaron Wybe, your host for today's podcast. Here in our third podcast, we're going to continue discussing how folks in extension are handling their field days in the midst of COVID-19. Like our previous episodes, we are touching base with some folks that participated in our Connect Extension virtual chat on field days back in June, but today we're joined by someone that actually led that virtual chat on field days, and he's someone that I really admire and enjoy talking to. I must warn you, we do nerd out on a few things technology, but I'm excited to have Victor Viegas, Technology and Media Support Coordinator from Oregon State University Extension Service with us. Welcome, Victor. Now, you had mentioned that you supported a virtual potato research field day what was that all about? Right. So this is one of our faculty um, came to me and said, hey, we we're, have an idea of, of doing a our normal, you know, potato um, research field days. We usually have uh, clients come to the research station, experiment station uh, up in Hermiston in northeast Oregon. Uh, but obviously, because of the pandemic, we're not able to do that, and we want to do some type of a virtual event that would be something similar, uh, but would need some technical help. And so, since I'm the technology and media support coordinator, um, I offered to to be a uh, technical assistance and also, you know, be a moderator and uh, just just run the the event for them. So it was a, obviously a much modified uh, online shortened event compared to their in-person face-to-face. Uh, but it was still, well, there was four speakers. Uh, they had four uh, researchers present their, their research findings on, on the work they've done in the last year regarding potatoes. And uh, so they sent out the invitation to uh, producers, uh, growers, uh, other educators also that are interested in, in the field of, of growing potatoes. And uh, it was uh, scheduled for about two hours, approximately. Uh, didn't go through the whole two hours, but each researcher had their section where they would do the presentation and then they had a question and answer. And then, then we would do a poll of questions that that particular researcher had that they wanted to find out from you know the growers. Um, to inform future research. Um, so it was that type of a format. An intro, we had first presenter, Q&A for that presenter, a poll, and then we went on to the next one, you know, and then the next one, the next one, until we had gone through all, all four presenters. So it, it went pretty well. It was, it was an experiment. The first time they had actually tried it, uh, they reached some folks that uh, 
they typically wouldn't have reached, which was kind of nice and interesting. Uh, they would have liked to see a lot more folks. There was a lot more folks that registered than actually attended, but I think that's normal in most of these online events. So it also was recorded and made available for folks that weren't able to attend. So that's another plus because in person, you usually don't have all that equipment to record all of the sessions going on. Uh, and since this was much shorter and it was all online, it was easier just to make that recording and put it on for, for later consumption. I appreciate you bringing up the attendance factor, which is the number of folks that actually register is not going to be who shows up. So we have found over the last several months, and I think we, we knew this before, but we've been doing so much online engagement and hosting so many events that the number of folks that actually show up is somewhere between 50 and 60% of those that register. That's normal. That's yep. normal. I, I tell people, don't, don't fret it because there's actually sometimes more people that actually watch the recording afterwards than actually attend the event, you know, and so it's still useful uh, and you do have more people seeing it than the ones that actually attend. So don't fret it as much. It does seem like it could throw a wrench into planning, though, because if you're using Zoom, for example, and say you have a 100 seat or a 300 seat Zoom room, let's say you have a 300 seat and 400 people register for your event, then what do you do? Do you upgrade the room to ensure that you're accommodating all 400 people? Probably not. You probably don't need to because if you apply that 50 to 60% rule, you're still going to have plenty of space for folks to attend. Right. Well, and uh, I mean... We didn't have to worry about that because this was a small, smaller uh, presentation. But most of the time, we recommend folks just do the meeting version of Zoom versus the webinar. Uh, you can still do a meeting one uh, similar to a webinar, even with a bigger groups. And then you have to worry about paying that licensing fee for for the webinar type. Uh, it's a little bit trickier, but it's if you have someone that's handling all the technical side, like I was doing myself, it's, it's easier, right? Because then that person can be the moderator. They can turn everybody's microphone off or, and you can also set it so the video doesn't turn on unless you allow particular people if you want them to, to talk back or whatnot. So it's, I, there's very few instances where we recommend doing the webinar versus the meeting format for these type of things. That right there is really good advice, and I am glad you bring it up. I want to take a step back for just a second to explain to those listening. I realize not everybody has used Zoom probably to the extent that Victor and I have used it, but it's important to to tell you that there are really two different types of Zoom rooms. There are Zoom meeting rooms, and then there are Zoom webinar rooms. A Zoom meeting room is pretty much exactly what you think of when you think of Zoom. Folks can come into a meeting, they can turn their audio and video on, and they can have the meeting. Um, it's exactly the image of Zoom that I think comes to everybody's mind. Then there are the Zoom webinar rooms, which are a little bit different. You have panelists, which are usually the folks that are presenting, that have audio and video. And then you have the participants who do not have audio and video. They are basically there to watch, kind of like a TV show. And their interaction is really limited to using only the chat or the Q&A feature. And yes, there are a few other 
little tricks in there where you could turn a participant's audio on for a second if they want to share something. But generally speaking, the participants are there to watch while the panelists are there to present something. And the reason I bring this up is I think you're right. I think that having a Zoom meeting is just a lot more engaging. And there, there's certainly some more risk involved when you have that many people with microphones and videos and whatnot. But I think that giving folks the opportunity to engage, certainly in an event like what you're talking about um, that you hosted, it seems like that would be the most appropriate thing to do. Definitely. I mean, I've seen a lot of other webinars where they limit the folks uh, where they don't even let them chat, you know, <laughs> um, or see who else is online. I mean, sometimes they say, well, that's privacy issues and whatnot. And it's like, I haven't really had problems with that. I actually encourage folks to uh, chat and, and put, because not everybody wants to be on camera or talking live, right? Sure. But there's, uh, they definitely do if you allow them to participate in the chat and ask questions that way. And then sometimes the, uh, other participants might have information that you don't have and can actually answer some of the questions on there too. So it depends obviously on what you're presenting. Uh, but personally, I, I like that two direction communication as, and engagement as much as possible. Awesome. So what were some of the challenges in putting together this potato research field day virtually? Um, Trying to get the information out to folks of not everybody, uh, I mean, you usually have mailings. You know, traditionally, they could actually mail things out, a brochure or whatnot, a flyer out to folks. And because it's all virtual, you have to do it via email. Uh, another thing is trying to schedule it at a certain time when you think you're going to get as many folks as possible. So we actually did this in the evening versus the daytime because many of the producers are would most likely be busy uh, doing their work. Uh, another challenge was try to make it not so long and overbearing, you know, and, and make it a duplication of what you have the in-person. And in-person, they can spend a whole, you know, four to six to eight hours, right, the whole day uh, at a field and uh, do live show and tell and, and question and answer as it happens. So you had to modify it quite a bit to, to do a live um, online event. Uh, so there are some limitations, but making it shorter, uh, quicker, um, allowing for the Q&A, but maybe not during the presentation itself uh, as much. Uh, allowed it to go smoother, but it was definitely much different than in person. And again, it was an experiment. It was try small, see how that works, and then expand from there. I'm just curious, by making the events shorter and a little more focused, do you think that helps out with Zoom fatigue? Yeah, I think so. Um, even the schools, right? There, the, the school days of the... Um, uh, online instruction that just teachers are giving was, was shortened quite a bit. And um, I think that's fine. Uh, we can't pay as much attention online as we are in person for, for whatever multitude of reasons. Uh, I think breaking up things into smaller chunks, maybe doing a 
series of sessions versus one big session makes it easier for people to pick and choose which ones they want to attend. Uh, I know that's a little disconcerting for the people actually presenting these things like, ah, I want everyone to be here and, and hear everything. And I was like, well, you know, you kind of give your audience uh, what they want to hear, when they want to hear it, in the way that they want to hear it. You know, we're here for them, we're not here for us. So you have to take that into consideration. You also, especially during this COVID time, have to take in consideration that people's lives have been totally upended. And the time that they have, they also having to take care of other things, other personal business uh, that throws their schedule way out of whack. And so providing shorter amounts of, you know, these types of presentations that are shorter, they can put that into their schedule easier than like four hours at a time or something like that. With moving an event like this to a virtual format, do you think that you were still able to get to the same outcomes or impacts as you were doing it in person? It's hard to say. Um, I think there's some newer impacts that we are having that we maybe didn't take into account before, like reaching new audiences. Um, how it impacts, how the impacts differ from the in-person ones. Uh, since I'm not a researcher, I don't know, you know, what the direct impacts are compared to what they had in the past because I haven't participated in any of those in-person events myself. Um, I think that's yet to be seen on, on a lot of that stuff, you know. Ask, ask me next year. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned the ability to reach new audiences. Do you... Do you think that there are any other benefits to holding an event like this virtually? Well, I, the logistics, right? I mean, you know, if if you're doing it during a, a certain season where the weather can be highly unpredictable, you don't have to worry about that, right? Um, you don't have to worry about providing uh, food and you know. Uh, different type of access, making sure there's enough room for people or limiting your number of people that can show up because you only have so much space or whatnot. So it gives you some other advantages that uh, over the in-person. Yeah, that is something we can definitely relate to at eExtension. So back before COVID-19 became the disruptor that it has become, we had already decided to move our Impact Collaborative program to an entirely virtual format. And there was a number of reasons for doing that. And uh, obviously cost is when you're dealing with big national events and you're doing them in person, you know, the cost can be very expensive. But the main reason we did that was we wanted to engage with more people across the system and engage more people in that program. And I think from the last time I checked, we have certainly exceeded uh, the number of people we've reached through that program. And what we're doing now is we are evaluating, does does this work? We're looking at all the ups and downs to it, and we're certainly finding uh, the differences between doing things in person and doing things virtually. Well, there's definite pros and cons, you know. Um, I think in-person, face-to-face is still would be the preferred method because uh, it's a lot more hands-on, you know, when you're doing show and tell and you can read people's body language better versus, you know, here you only see their face and sometimes you don't even see that. Sometimes it's just an audio. Um, so it's really hard to read people. 
other times uh, folks are, are more hesitant to, to participate because there's other folks, you know, there's a whole bunch of other people on here that you don't know. Um, so there, there's that disadvantage uh, from the online, but, uh, you know, you have to balance it out. I think going in, into the future, even if we start doing face-to-face, uh, -face, in person again, I think folks are starting to see the value of the virtual as like in addition to what they do, right? And that's not going to disappear. There's, there's going to increase. It's not going to totally replace. It's going to be more of an enhancement. And so you have this, you know, you have the in-phase and you have the online stuff. It's kind of a hybrid approach. Some people reach better in this format, some people in the other format. And it's, it's good to have multiple uh, opportunities to reach people. Absolutely. Now, I know you have a really big tech background. So what are what what is your advice for other extension professionals that are looking to move their events like field days virtually? I recommend uh start small, practice, <laughs> prepare with Zoom. You can do practice sessions, um get comfortable with the technology as much as possible. I also recommend not trying to do it all by yourself. So gather a team, uh, have presenters worry about the presentation, have your technical support people or find someone, you know, that has some technical skills that you can help you and do the technical and the side thing. So you don't have to worry about that. So we recommend usually having at least two people, right? You have the the host, moderator, technical person, and then you have the presenter. That's at a minimum. Uh, that way the presenter can concentrate on the presentation. Uh, if you can have three people, even better, because then you can have the technical person just do the tech stuff, then you have the host do the moderation, the introductions, and wrapping everything up, and then you have your presenter do the presentation, right? So you got three people. That also helps if if you get disconnected somehow, one of the other two people can take over, which happens. You know, it, you're online, you lose connection for whatever reason, and if you have two or more people, then you have a backup for that person to keep on going. Uh, but really, it's it's about experimentation, trying it out, doing it, and the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And just the other day, I was talking with somebody, and they were running an online event, and they were sharing with me that about five minutes before the event started, they had lost internet service, so they didn't have somebody there to help them, so they were getting on their email and writing everybody, asking to hold off for a little while while they tried to troubleshoot that. So um, it's absolutely important to have at least one other person there with you. Yeah, and, I mean, it's um, just backups, 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 have all kinds of backups. So I'll have something like a PowerPoint presentation right on my computer, but I'll have something in the cloud just in case. And I'll have something on a USB drive. So you have like three different places you can grab your presentation from. Have uh, I have uh, Zoom. I have, you know, if Zoom's acting up, if, if audio's cutting out, call in with the phone and have that phone ready for people, you know. If you're on there and your video is messing up your audio, turn off your, your video that will open up some bandwidth so that your audio sounds better. You know, there's multiple ways of doing things, uh, but always having 
plan A, plan B, plan C, <laughs> just that, in case, because it will happen. When you're dealing with technology, something is going to, to not work out. And it just allowing for that and planning that's just an eventuality, it makes it so much easier for you. With that said, do you have some sort of checklist that you give to those that you're working with on these different online events to follow to make sure you have all these things in place? Or is that more just instinctive and something you've really internalized uh, through your experience? Uh, it's kind of internal to me because I don't necessarily deal with the presenters themselves. That's usually someone else that does that's doing all the background logistics stuff. Uh, so I deal with the person that's putting the event together, not necessarily the presenters. Uh, but I do tell them, okay, make sure you know who's going first, second, last, and and you know approximately how much time. Um, and who's moderating that wasn't exactly clear in the last one that we had which you know who's who's actually the timekeeper is it me is it you uh that that's one of the glitches that we had uh, we, we just didn't i was assuming that person was the one that was going to because she was the one that was actually leading it and i thought she was a timekeeper but uh, uh somehow i ended it <laughs> being a timekeeper just as a default when things were like oh this person's going over time i was like okay well how much time is over time because you didn't tell me how much time <laughs> so yeah lesson learned have that outline of you know how long is someone supposed to be talking and and then who's the one that's going to interrupt them to say hey all right stop we got to go on to the next section well, all right, Victor, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And just before we go, do you have any last pieces of advice for folks? Yeah, um, I think the last thing, and it's it's hard for a lot of folks, especially in academia, they like everything to be perfect. Don't worry about the perfection. It's more about the content. People actually enjoy seeing some um, mess ups here because they they show you as human, right? <laughs> and there's more, much more engagement. It's like uh, you know, don't worry too much about the technical perfection. If things go wrong, they are they are going to go wrong no matter what. And so just expect it and, and go with the flow. Don't get upset about it. You know, people actually respect that. Uh, you're just like them you know you make mistakes the tech makes mistakes things are out of your control but just keep it going and and people will appreciate that well i'll tell you what i often think of the zoom world like i do the music world and you and i are both musicians so i think you can relate to this and that's i think most people are pretty forgiving when it comes to low quality video in a Zoom call or technical glitches here or there. Some, some of those things, they just happen. But the one thing that I think people really have to try and get right, that is audio quality. Because really that is the most important part of the Zoom call, being able to hear the people that you are interacting with. Yes, in video production, I, I, I tell that to folks. I, I just did um, uh, some judging for, for some... Um, uh, students that were, you know, in communication, ad communications, and I reviewed a lot of their videos. And the number one thing I, I told kids is like the same thing, you know, work on your video skills, but more than that, your audio, because, you know, it can be perfect video. And if your audio is off, people are just going to tune it out. You can have really bad video. And if your audio is, is good and your story is good, 
then they'll forgive the video, but they will not forgive the bad audio. I mean, that's just the number one thing. Yeah, it's kind of uh, ironic that in video, the audio is more important than the visual. <laughs> and let me just ask, with everybody moving to the virtual format, at least for now, do you think for folks that are hosting these online field days, it would be wise to invest in something like you have right now, which seems to be just a basic wired headset. Yeah, it's a, just a USB wired headset. It's, it's rather probably one of the cheaper ones. It doesn't have to be anything expen expensive or fancy, uh, but just having that um, versus a your onboard laptop computer microphone, it makes it so much better because it will cut out all of the background. Well, cut out most of the background noise and uh, it's also you don't get that feedback which a lot of folks get when they're not using the head headset right because the audio goes from their mic into their mic from the speaker into the microphone and you get that loop and it's like and it just starts or you get the echoing effect right it's like there's this delayed effect having the headset with a microphone doesn't totally el eliminate that, but it makes it so much easier in troubleshooting and whatnot, and your audio will be better. So definitely, this is my number one recommendation, USB headset with a mic. Well, thank you so much, Victor. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Before we go, I just want to let everyone know that some of the things that Victor and I were talking about today is something that we covered in a webinar or a webinar series just a couple months ago called How to Host Engaging Webinars. And we talked about a lot of those concepts. I was joined by my colleagues Molly Immendorf and Mark Locklear. If you'd like to check out a recording of that series, you can find that in Connect Extension. And that was for eExtension members, so it's available in the Impact Collaborative subgroup. And if you go to the calendar in there, you should be able to find that, or you can use the search tool and just type in how to host engaging webinars once you are in the Impact Collaborative subgroup. That's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we will see you on the next episode. <music>